Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you that we could lift up our voices in praise. And we thank you for the promise that you inhabit the praises of your people. We thank you that you are here with us in our midst. And I thank you, O Lord, that you care about us and that you minister to the things that are in our lives. We yield ourselves to you. We humble ourselves before you. We thank you for the forgiveness of sin. And Lord, we lift you up and we exalt you in all things. Carry your word to our hearts by your spirit. May it change us. Make us more like you. May we speak it and walk in it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've entitled this uh, message this morning, Hope Against Hope, Having Faith During Hard Times. And this is a follow-up sermon to the first sermon that I preached on January 1st, uh, Hope Against Hope from Romans. And I want us to turn there first. We're going to be turning to 1 Peter this morning, but I want us to turn to Romans chapter 4 first. And I want to read the passage of scripture that I preached on last time. It's Romans chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. And it says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. So this was uh, the the message I preached on January 1st. And it was looking at Abraham as a model of faith for us. So we find in this passage how uh, he uh, had faith in God, how Abraham had faith in God, and he trusted in God and everything. And here are the points that I had in my first sermon there. So my points were this. First of all, God can make anything happen. He's the one who calls things that don't exist into existence. He is the one who can raise the dead. He can give life to the dead. So God can make anything happen. My second point was that that, that the encouragement to us that we are to have faith even though things seem hopeless. Have faith even though it seems hopeless. Number three, my third point was that uh, don't let your faith be weakened. And my fourth one, don't let it waver. So those were my points there. Instead, let your faith grow stronger. Be fully convinced, certain, and persuaded that God, what God has promised, He is able to bring it about. God is at work no matter what, Right? He is at work no matter how bleak things might seem. And then uh, let your faith uh, grow stronger. And I concluded with the exhortation to expect God to do great things, right? There, there was this, this hope that we were casting forward, this faith that we were casting forward as we go forward uh, in this year, that we should expect God to do great things. And if you remember, we took a piece of paper and we wrote on the paper, the things that we hoped God would do in our lives, right? And we brought it all up, and we just kind of, we laid it here at the front, just kind of as as our offering to God, our hope and our expectation in faith of what God was going to do or is going to do this year. So I encouraged us in that, and at the same time, I reminded us that we had to yield ourselves to God. I mean, God's ways are not our ways, and sometimes He does things a little bit differently than we would expect. And I tell you what, I'm right there, and I was right there in the front of that sermon. I mean, that sermon was as much for me as for everybody else. So 
In case you're wondering, when I preach up here, I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to you. And so that sermon was for me too. And I was trusting. I was trusting. I was having faith. I was believing that day that God was going to do and is going to do great things. He's going to do it in my life, right? And I hope that you're having the same idea in your life. Yes. So since then, since I preached that sermon, we had four trips to the ER, three 911 calls, two transfers to Children's Hospital, and I've only preached once this year. This is my second sermon, all right? So this is my second one. So a little bit opposite of what I was hoping for and what I was trusting in God for. Now, it's not that what we went through is exceptionally bad. I mean, many of you are going through some difficult and challenging things. The point is this, that sometimes it just doesn't come out or turn out the way that we hope for or expect. Things go a little bit differently sometimes. And so as we go forward, hoping in God, hoping in God and having faith and expecting him to do great things, and, and everything that I preached on from Romans, I still affirm and I still uh, uh, rest, upon, rest my faith upon. I, I still do that. But there is that yielding part of it. And what is uh, important for us is to take the things that happen, to take the things that happen to us, and to trust in God no matter what. I mean, he's doing something great even if we don't understand or see it. And so we want to keep on going forward. We want to continue having our hope and placing our hope in him and having faith in him. And how we handle the adversity that comes to us is really important. I mean, that's, that's an important part. And we're going to uh, uh, talk about that a little bit this morning. So we want to keep on going forward no matter what it is that happens to us. So you've heard the word, the, the, the joke from the world. Uh, when life gives you lemons, all right, make lemonade, right? I love this picture here. For some reason, it just appeals to me, even though the saying in itself uh, it was like, ah, I don't care about the same, but when looking at this picture, it's like, okay, you know, maybe I could go for it. Anyway, I looked up some uh, other sayings that are related to that. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Here's one. When life gives you lemons, plant the seeds, grow an orchard, and sell the lemons to Sunkist. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. And then another one was, uh, forget the lemonade. Make lemon chicken and a rich lemon cheesecake. <laughs> I liked that too, and I'm starting to get hungry now. Here's another one I liked. When life gives you lemons, order a lobster tail. <laughs> that was great. And my favorite. When life gives you lemons, give them back and ask for chocolate instead. So anyway, we want to make sure, that that's the world obviously, but we want to make sure as Christians that we're going forward and we respond to the trials that we face in a way that is honoring to God. So let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, and I want to talk about this again, hoping against hope, hope against hope. And what that means is, going back to Abraham, is that from the earthly perspective, from his perspective, if you remember, when God promised to give him a child, he looked at his age and his wife's age, and from the human perspective, it was impossible. There was no possibility for them to have another child. So 
the, there, there's this temptation when the circumstances just kind of are stacked against us to just stop believing or disbelieving. Or, it's not that we don't believe in God anymore. It's like we just don't think there's any possibility of a change taking place in our life. And, th- and that's the part that we want to kind of change from because God can do anything. He can, he can change any situation. And of course, in Abraham's case, even though he and Sarah were way past the age of having children, God moved and blessed them with a child. So that's hope against hope. And when we consider the things in our lives, and this brings us to our first point, there is this important thing that we must understand, that sometimes suffering is necessary. Sometimes suffering is necessary. So I want to read 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses, uh, let me see, first, st- starting in verse, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It, said, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And I want to focus in on verse 6 first this morning. It says this, In this you greatly rejoice. In these things that he just said, you greatly rejoice Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So, sometimes suffering is necessary. Sometimes, for a little while, and that little while might even extend to a good significant part of our lifetime, even if for a little while we have to suffer. We have to go through a hard time. Now, I say even if we suffer for the course of our life, that's still just a little while. Why is that just a little while? Because 70 years compared to eternity is nothing, right? And so should we have to suffer the entirety of our lives when we enter the glorious presence of God, the eternity will soon overshadow and eclipse and swallow up the little 70 years that we suffered. So even if we have to suffer for a little bit of time. Now thankfully, we don't, uh, th- thankfully God often will give us little periods of time where there's a relief or a reprieve or, you know, at least things have leveled out just a little bit so I can catch my breath <laughs> and, uh, and then go forward onto bigger and better trials. But sometimes we get that rest and uh, other times we just have to keep on suffering. Now notice also it says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Grieved. The word means distressed, to be made sad, to be sorrowful. And this is what our trials do to us, right? I mean, we don't like them, and we don't want to have to go through them, and they cause us distress and anxiety, and we get all worked up, and We are grieved and we are saddened and the tears flow and we are just just, uh, hurting because of our problems, because of the circumstances. If necessary, for a little while, if we have been grieved by various trials, nevertheless, greatly rejoice in some things. So this is what it says. Even though we might have to suffer sometimes, we can still greatly rejoice. And this is the point of this passage here. He has, Peter, 
through the Holy Spirit, has said some things, some truths about God and about who we are in our relationship with him that are greater than the trials that we have to face so that when we remember these things, we can still rejoice even though life is hard. And so this is what we want to turn to next. So first of all, sometimes suffering is necessary. But secondly, rejoice in the two benefits of salvation. There are two things in this passage that our salvation brings about for us. Two things, and this is what we want to kind of focus in on and learn to rejoice in. So these are going to be very important, these two things, because it is as we as we focus on these, as we think on them, as we incorporate them into our life and our relationship to God, they should rise up and cause a rejoicing that overshadows and eclipses the suffering that we have to experience in life. Now, it says in verse one, three, in chapter 1, verse 3, so going back to verse 3, it says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, this is what he has done, who, according to his abundant mercy, he has begotten us again. He has begotten us again. Another way to put this is like this. He has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to be born again. And so God has done this great work in our lives, if you're a Christian this morning. He has moved in our lives. He has moved in our hearts. He has moved in our souls and in our spirit by his spirit. And he has caused us to be born again. This is a great work of God. It focuses on what he has done on our behalf. Because after all, we know that there is nothing that we could do to save ourselves. Amen? There is nothing that we can do on our own to uh, make ourselves right with God. We depend on Christ's work on the cross and his work in our life to transform us and to bring us alive, to make us be born again. It is what he has done. And notice also, it says, he has done this according to his abundant mercy. His abundant mercy. Now, you know why he does it according to his abundant mercy? causing us to be born again. Because left to ourselves, we're all pretty rotten people. That's why he has to be merciful to us, right? Because we're rotten. Sorry to offend anybody out there. I hope you didn't think that you were like uh, doing pretty good, but uh, you know, this is the truth of the, the matter. He caused us to be born again by his abundant mercy. And the mercy that he gives to us is not because we deserve it, Right? It is because he is just so loving and kind and because he has taken care of it. And, and though I made light of it, there are a lot of people who do not feel that they are good enough to have a relationship with God. I mean, you can come across them, you start talking to somebody and they'll just, you know, there's something that weighs on them and they're guilty and they just don't feel like... God can forgive them or there's any place for them to have a relationship with God. And sometimes even as Christians, we struggle with this. We look at the things and circumstances of our life, the things that we do or don't do, and we start to feel guilty and we just don't think that God loves us anymore or he doesn't hear our prayers because of it or he's not going to bless us anymore because of it. And, and we have to remember one thing. He is doing this work because of his abundant mercy. 
of his abundance. He loves us and he forgives us. He does not give us what we deserve to be given. And this can be freeing. This can relieve the stress. This can relieve some anxiety in our lives that we don't have to perform to be accepted by God. Now, I'm not saying that doing good things is not, is impor- is not important. It is very extremely important. As a matter of fact, if you're going to be a Christian, there should be this ongoing striving in your life to live according to the precepts of God. That's important. But we are our relationship with him is not based on that. It is the result. Our, our works are the result of that. We are saved by his grace and through his abundant mercy. And so we have been born again. And the question that we have to face this morning, because these truths that we're going to talk about rest on the fact that we've been born again. So the question is, have you been born again this morning? Has God done this great work in your life? I hope that he has. And if he hasn't, you can come to him through the prompting of his spirit and have your sins forgiven and enter into a new life with him. Today, you can do that. Don't put it off any longer. So, he, we can rejoice in these two benefits of salvation. Once we have been born again, once we have this new life in Christ, there are two things that he does for us that can cause us to rejoice. And the first one, oh, by the way, I want to read this, because this is where, remember, this is the importance of um, being born again. So we go to John chapter 3, verse 3. And I can't see. Ron, are you back there? There we go. Thank you for your help. John chapter 3, verse 3 says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So being born again is another way of saying being saved. And unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Now, the first thing that he does for us or gives to us as a result of having been born again is that he has um, caused us to be born again to a living hope to a living hope. And so we can see this slide over here, to a living hope, as the first thing that he does for us. You see it, Ron? There, oops. There we go. Okay. So he has done this. He has given us this living hope. And it starts out in verse 3 by saying, blessed be the God and Father. This is like praise to God. Blessed be God. Praise be to God. He has done this. So this is the rejoicing, the starting. Uh, as it starts, we have been born again by his mercy. Praise be to God. Praise the Lord. He has done this for me. I am no longer in my sin. Praise him. All praise be to him for what he has done. So give praise to God because he has brought our salvation. He has given us the hope of eternal life. So praise be to God. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And so we can hope against hope. Because what on earth can thwart the promise of eternal life that he has made to us? What on earth can thwart that? Nothing. Nothing. And so we can rejoice. It is a promise that he has given to us that we will spend eternity with him in his presence. We can latch on to it so we can go forward. It is a living hope. A living hope. Now, this is kind of challenging to understand. What does he mean by a living hope? What does it mean that a hope is living or alive? And I'm not exactly sure what he meant here, but there are a couple of possibilities. First of all, this possibility that this hope is living in that it is alive and vibrant. 
It is active. It is not just wishful thinking. Now, that's how the world uses the word hope, right? I hope I get better. That's kind of like, I'm not sure if I'm going to get better. And, you know, you just kind of, uh, there's no certainty there. You just hope you get better. That's how the world uses the word hope. But in the Bible, when the word uses hope, the thing that is hoped for will come to pass. It is living, a living hope. It is alive. It is vibrant. It is active. It is not just wishful thinking. So this is the hope that he has given to us. Another possibility for this living hope, the living hope is a living hope because it is Jesus who rose again from the dead. He is alive and he has offered this hope to us. And so it is a living hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Another possibility for this living hope is that one day, because Jesus rose again from the dead, he will cause us to rise again from the dead. We will be alive and we will enter into that promise and that hope of eternal life. We will enter it for all of eternity. And so it could be a living hope in that sense as well. But regardless of which one we're talking about here, or which one is in view here, the, the truth of the matter is this, that this hope is real. It is something that we can look forward to. It is going to take place no matter what. And that gives us, that encourages us, I hope, right? There you go, I hope. I used it in the worldly sense, wishful thinking, but... Um, We can look forward to it. It is a real hope. It is really something that is going to take place. Jesus is going to return. We will rise again from the dead. We will spend all of eternity in his presence. Praise be to God. And so we hope. Now, hope in 1 Peter is is pretty significant here. So we've got three verses I want us to look at. There are three verses here to look at. And the first one, this is just hope in 1 Peter. So this is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He uses it in a number of ways here that are encouraging for us. So first of all, it says in 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this hope that we have is to rest fully. In other words, our hope for tomorrow rests fully upon God's grace. God's grace. And remember, grace and mercy are kind of similar. So he's doing this for us, not because we deserve it or because we're being good enough for it. It is all settled through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it will be brought about or manifested when he returns. Now, there's something really important to remember about our salvation. So how many of you are saved? How many of you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've asked him to forgive you of your sins and you have a relationship with Jesus? I'm still talking. I want to see your hands now. I can't think and talk at the same time. So, All right, good. So all of you, so many of you, almost everybody here has asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. You've entered into this relationship with him. You are saved, right? So we would consider our relationship to him as one of having been saved. We belong to him. We're going to, when we die, we go to heaven. Um, However, our salvation, we've only experienced a small part of it. We say we're saved and we are saved, but we have only begun this salvation thing. It is only just started. 
There are so many more things that are going to take place in the future with respect to our salvation that are even greater than the salvation we are experiencing right now. If just to point one out is the resurrection from the dead. Hey, look, my salvation is going to be so much greater when I get rid of this body, as good as it is, you know, when I get rid of this body, I'm going to get a better body. And that'll make my salvation so much more than it is now, right? That's just one, one of the things that are down the road in, with respect to our salvation. So right now, we still, you know, we have the Holy Spirit. He comes and He dwells within us. He has transformed us. He has made us alive again in Him. We are saved. We are born again. And yet, we still got this flesh. And so, I've got the Spirit of God leading me one way. And my flesh, it keeps on dragging me the other way. And, you know, we, we have all of this, this tension and this fighting and this war that goes on within ourselves. But one day, that's going to that's gonna end. And in that day, my salvation will be far greater than it is right now. And so he says here in 1 Peter 1.13, rest your hope, your hope. Now this is what we're talking about, focusing on our hope. Rest it fully on the grace of God. Now notice the future part of this. That is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. So in other words, when we're talking about our salvation here, when we're thinking about our salvation, he is uh, uh, turning our attention to the revelation of Jesus. That's when Jesus returns and he is revealed in this earth. At that point, um, there's going to be a greater part of our salvation. Put your hope on that. He's coming back. And uh, there will be further things in our salvation. The next verse here is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and, give, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Our faith and our hope are in God. Now, this is simply saying that we do not look forward to eternal life based on, on ourselves. Our, our um, eternity and our salvation, they rest on God. He is the one who has done this. He is the one who continues to do this in our lives. He is at work in our lives. And then 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 says, "But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts." I mean, set him apart in your heart. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who give, who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Always be ready to give an answer, a response for the hope that you have. And what I want us to take from this verse right now is that we should always be ready to share with others our hope. I have a hope in Jesus, and I need to be ready to give an answer or to share or to express that to others. Because who in this world doesn't need Christ to fix their lives? I mean the unsaved. I mean, they all do, right? And we have, we have the answer. We have it. And so let us not keep our mouths closed, but let us share that hope with others so that they can move on from wishful thinking to certainty in eternal life that comes through Jesus. So this is how Peter uses hope 
in his gospel, his epistle. The second thing that he gives us, the result of having been born again, is that there is a, an inheritance. There is an inheritance. Now, I know, you know, sometimes we, uh, we say it's kind of like a wrong motive to think, well, you know, I'm going to serve the Lord and he's going to bless me in heaven. And uh, we think, well, that's, you know, that's all. We, we shouldn't do it for what we're going to get out of it, and we shouldn't. But at the same time, I have to admit, there are many verses that put in front of us the thing that we're going to get in heaven, namely an inheritance. Isn't that great? An inheritance? I was just talking with somebody. Um, they were expressing their frustration that they, there, was, there was no return on their service to God. Uh, in other words, they were doing things for God and it just didn't seem like, you know, it, anything was changing or anything was different. It was just, you know, and I was able to share with them the truth of this passage that, you know, every time we do something in the Lord's name, there is a blessing that waits for us. It is a part of our inheritance that we will obtain. We are not saved by our good works, but there, there is a blessing that awaits us. We will, we will be blessed by the things that we do in this world. There is a reward that waits for us. You remember the passage in Corinthians that says we come with our, our gold and our precious jewels and our wood and hay and stubble and it is all put to the fire and the things that are, that are worthy survive and becomes the blessing. So we go to heaven, or we have eternal life because we trust in Jesus Christ. But there is a reward that awaits for us. There is an inheritance that awaits us. And that inheritance is uh, connected to the way that we live for Jesus here on this earth. And this inheritance is incorruptible. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. Nothing can happen to it. It is reserved in heaven for you. You and I have a bank account, or whatever God, wherever God stores these things. I'm just kidding. We have a bank account or something up there, and it's got my name on it, and your name on it. And it's there only for you. No one else will be able to access it. It is incorruptible, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It is reserved for you. And this is something to look forward to. So let us look forward to that. Let me read verses 4 and 5 again. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are kept by the power of God. Now notice it says in verse 3, He caused us to be born again. And in verse 5, He keeps us by His power. So God is at work in our lives, bringing about this salvation to us. For His glory, by His mercy. Through faith, that's our part, our cooperative part in God's work. We're, we, we have an... Uh, a role to play, and our faith is important. We cannot please God without faith, and so it is important for us to have faith. And so he keeps us, and through our faith, there is a salvation. And notice the future aspect of our salvation in this verse. It says, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It can only get better and better for us. 
It will only get better and better for us as we move closer and closer to the time of his coming. Even if we should die here, there is coming the day in which we will be raised from the dead and it will get better and better and better throughout all of eternity. In this, greatly rejoice. Verse 6. And this is where we started. Greatly rejoice. Now, Greatly rejoice. Now, now, now this, is, this is the happy time. This is the happy dance part of uh, the message. This is where, and I don't want anybody dancing in the aisles. You have to go to another church to do that. We don't really do that here. But uh, you can do it on the inside all you want. And when you get home, and maybe one day, you know, we'll be able to stand up in our chairs. And we we got to take baby steps, you know, towards some things. But uh, don't do it right now. But there's, there should be going on in your heart, this great rejoicing, great rejoicing. This is the rejoicing in these things, in the living hope, and in the inheritance, and some other things after this, which you can't get to today. But these things should cause us great joy within our hearts and in our lives that are beyond or more than the suffering that we're experiencing. And so here is, here is the balance. Does your suffering sap your joy? Is your suffering, your heart circumstance, draining you of God's joy from your life? Is it? If it is, then you need to adjust some things because your joy should be taking the suffering part out of the suffering. We have great joy. This word uh, to rejoice here in this verse in the New King James, it says, greatly rejoice. In some of your other Bibles, it might just have uh, rejoice, but greatly rejoice is better. Here's the definition of this word. It's one word, greatly rejoice. To experience a state of great joy and gladness, often involving verbal expression and appropriate body movement. To be extremely joyful, to be overjoyed, to rejoice greatly. This is, this is the kind of joy when the Chiefs beat the Bengals today that we can have. And when the 49ers beat the Eagles. <laughs> I tell you what, if you're a Chief, well, whoever wins, if your team wins, you will not have any trouble experiencing a, a state of great joy and gladness, often involving verbal expression and appropriate body movement. Right? You're not going to have any trouble with that if your team wins. Now, I know if your team loses, it's going to throw you into a depression, and you're going to go hang out in your bed for the rest of the week, and uh, you know, you're just going to have trouble getting going, and you have to call in sick to work. Well, that's inappropriate <laughs> also. <laughs> the sad thing is, and, uh, and this is where we all, I think, need help, is seeing the truths of God in such a light that it is, it, it creates this joy within us as much as our football team winning. That, that's, where we need to, that's where we need to be. We need to see the truths of Jesus and allow them to impact our heart where we are rejoicing over the suffering that we're experiencing. Um, because nothing Nothing should take away from what God has done from us. And our suffering is only a momentary thing. We should be rejoicing in what he has done. 
So I hope you have a relationship with Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is impossible. But the good news is that he invites you today to come to him, to receive the forgiveness of sins. He, he is at work today, moving in your heart and in your life. He wants to give you this living hope. He wants to give you this inheritance. He wants to give you a reason to rejoice. Being in God's presence, there's nothing that can be done but having great joy. There's nothing else. He is great, and we, will re- we ought to rejoice in his presence. And so let us train ourselves, let us move ourselves in that way to rejoice greatly in his presence and who he is and what he has done for us, for he loves us dearly. Let's stand as we sing our final song this morning.